Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Neil, good to have you, man. Thank you much, so much for joining me on the show. I'm looking forward to this one in particular. Thanks, Ethan. It's my pleasure. Yeah, good to have you. Of course, we always love to get the show started with a little bit of background of who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, man, we could go long story, we could go short story. But in the middle. We try to go in the middle here. I, I originally came from Louisiana. I wanted to get out and see the world instead of uh, kind of going down a conventional path. So I find myself thinking, you know, law school is not going to be the answer. Let me do Peace Corps. It's free. I get to travel the world. Um, I get to actually do some good is what I was thinking. But I, I really, what I found is that I get to learn a lot and I get to learn about what community means and, and how to just sit and be and, and explore different cultures. And so that was my background. I actually dovetailed that into a career working in threatened species conservation and climate change adaptation in places like India and Maldives. And I loved it. It was truly the career path that I wanted to, to go down. And I, I got to a point though, where I asked my boss who was in Switzerland and I said, look, what do I need to do to make more money? He said, you know, you gotta go get a PhD. You've got a master's degree, but like, this is how you climb the ladder. And something within inside of me was just like, you know, I, I just spent a lot of time in school and higher education. I, and I, I love working. I don't want to go back out uh, and spend another seven years in academia. And about that same time, I listened to a podcast about real estate and it was talking about how you can make passive income and there's no ceiling and time and financial freedom. And that concept really clicked. And I thought, huh, maybe that's a way that I can make money over here so that then it can support me to go do the passion projects over there. And so we got into that and we came back to the United States. We landed in Portland, Oregon. It was equidistant from my wife's uh, hometown of Anchorage and mine in Louisiana. And we just thought, you know, let's try real estate on. Uh, we really liked the, the building, the, as the, the community aspect and like, there's got to be something there to this. And so we started to, to figure out how to invest in real estate, how to buy multifamily properties and improve them and reposition them, how to manage them. And, and then other people started to take notice of what we were doing. And they started to ask us first for property management services. And we thought, huh, that's interesting. Rent's due on the first. So maybe there is a business out of that and we're already doing it. So let's just do it for these other folks. And then those same people started to ask us to help them buy and sell their properties. And in this, by this point, we're several years into the business and we thought, wow, yeah, I mean, we've been doing that. We've got our, our real estate brokerage license and um, we can continue to expand those services. And, and this is the part of the story that I really like to just skip forward because we looked up after seven years of building a business, I had about 20 agents working for us or working with us. Uh, we had a, a big support staff for our property management side where we had a couple hundred units under management and we hated it. <laughs> it was awful. I mean, it was, 
uh, a testament of if you put your head down and grind, you're going to build. But if you're not conscious and mindful about what you want to be building, then it is not going to turn out just rainbows and unicorns. And, and that's really in 2019, we had a big wake up call in our family, you know, four of our six elders started to get terminal cancer diagnoses, or at least very serious diagnoses. Uh, you know, I had a two-year-old and I started to, to really dig into the science and the statistics of our age, where not only is there a lot of doom and gloom because of the climate and the environment, but uh, you start to read things like 54% of our kids are going to develop a chronic disease before they're 17 that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life. And, and the cancer side of things, it's not just uh, the elders in our family, but, you know, about a hundred years ago, one in a hundred people were getting cancer by the mid 1970s. It was one in 20 and now it's one in two marginally better for females where it's one in three. So we started to realize that our world has fundamentally changed. Something is going on. We've had an eroding baseline, which is what we've learned in the environmental field. And the big aha moment is that I realize it's up to us, all of us to create the environments in which we can thrive. And if I'm dealing in environments and habitats for humans and in uh, other species, then we really need to be thinking our role, starting with a transaction through the, the design and, and the implementation uh, very differently. And so that leads us to, to what we're doing today, which is what we call regenerative real estate. Yeah. And I, I love it so much. And I love how insightful you are. I'm so excited to kind of dive into everything with you. Um, but I want to ask a little bit more about like your background, because I find it so cool. Um, similar thing with me, when, when you find that people get into real estate, they like have not heard, looked into it at all. And then all of a sudden they hear about investing in real estate. And they're like, oh, like I get how that works. Oh, you can make this much money doing this. Which, uh, which podcast did you listen to that, that made it kind of like click? I, I listened to Bigger Pockets. That's what that I figured. Yeah. Early an early front runner in the real estate investing space. Yeah. And I, I you know, I was religious about it and it gave me a lot of hope. And uh, it was amazing to go full circle to actually be on that show. And I think we've evolved since then to really where uh, I, I like there is an entry point for real estate for, for everybody. And yeah, I just, I'm, I'm grateful to be on such a steep learning curve perpetually. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Br Brandon is the boy. Um, yeah. I mean, let's, let's just dive straight into latitude. Cause I want, I really want to talk about everything you guys are doing. Cause it's so similar. It's so amazing. And it's similar to like the kind of values that I'd like to uh, promote. So like um, what exactly is different from your original real estate company compared to what you're doing now? Yeah, I'd say our original company really falls in line with a single bottom line mission. And it's a mission because you're quite singularly focused on what is the unit count? What's the production? What's the number of units that's under management? You know, all like a very classical and conventional thought process of our, we want to grow. We want the financial independence that comes from this. And that doesn't account for if, like, if you're talking in investor speak, it doesn't account for ESG. Uh, if we're going for more impact-driven language, it doesn't talk about the triple bottom line. Uh, so what we did is we, we put a big pause to say, one, what are we doing here? 
like latitude in its previous existence was all about the freedom or of scope or excuse me, freedom of thought or action. Like I have the latitude to do something. And that's what we thought that that real estate really enabled is like, you can go out and do whatever you want. And now we we've really started to shift to say, you know, latitude is, is still that the double entendre, but it also denotes a unique place on this planet. And then if we can all be change agents within our own communities, then we, ha- we can create change and impact uh, our, our local municipalities and our local communities so much more. And so that's really the basis of it is that now we, we are still a brand and a company and really a community for people that are real estate professionals that don't quite identify as a realtor with a capital R, but more as real estate professionals. And so we don't call ourselves real estate agents. We, we really go by, we are change agents. And what I found is that if you are working in a purpose-driven manner with a community of like-minded individuals, potential is limitless. And it, it comes from the community aspect. And that's been a really big factor for me is, is realizing that the, the real estate projects that I've been attracted to even are the ones that are community oriented. And that's really blown my mind because I, I got into this designer. Uh, he's an architect named Ross Chapin and he started to do pocket neighborhoods. And he was building these human scaled. So a little bit smaller than your traditional like McMansion. Uh, and instead of orienting these out towards a street to activate cars and concrete, if you think about how we situate our homes, uh, he started orienting these homes inward and he'd cluster them together. Inward in what sense? Inward in that if you had a block, just take a typical urban block, Mm -hmm. the houses all face outwards and you drive up your driveway and you park. And maybe for a lot of America, you, you open your garage door, you go inside and you never have to see anybody. But instead, he started to orient these houses inwards towards a common green space where parking still on the outside, but you've got to get out of your vehicle or get off your bicycle and then move inwards into the community where there's so much more spontaneous interaction amongst people. And there's much greater sense of sharing and communal space. And how, like, how do we create a park on every single block? In a, in a city, well, you would do this. You don't need designated areas spread out throughout the city uh, that are also quite expensive to maintain. And so I started to realize, wow, pocket neighborhoods, what, what the heck is going on here? Like, what is the charm? Where called? was this? Uh, this is actually in, in Portland, Oregon. Okay. But then when we started to realize that they're built all over the place, and we started to realize that community orientation is such a big thing. And and so at that time, like we were still calling it, how do we infuse sustainability into real estate? And, and that's great. Like there's a lot of amazing, way smarter people than, than I am working on that problem. And it just seems like a lot of those folks talk about energy efficiency and electrification. Uh, and that's amazing. Like the, <laughs> that space is changing so fast. It's unbelievable to see uh, the path towards net zero that we're going on. But 
as I define sustainability, it's much greater than just the energy requirements and the needs that, that we're having. Uh, but it also includes like, how do we look at sustainability from a health and wellness lens, as I was talking about, but uh, not just health and wellness, but how do we look at it from a community lens? And I'm a big gardener and I've got a background in, uh, in agriculture. And so I started to think, you know, we, we don't even talk about ecology that much in sustainability. We talk about it in like the environmental uh, realm, but it's not kind of part and parcel with the sustainable movement. And, and finally, we started to put all these disparate pieces together. And that's when it it really hit me that like we are talking about homes as habitats and we're trying to make meaning of how we dwell. And that's a deeply spiritual endeavor. And, and it didn't feel right to call it sustainable real estate. It, it felt much more fitting to call it regenerative real estate where we can act as stewards and in return, we get nourished and it's a virtuous cycle. It, it, it always continues. And that's how we've lived for tens of thousands of years. We just have forgotten that in the last 200. I find it really cool that you kind of started in like the, I don't even want to call it like the impact space, but you started in that, whatever you want to call it, like the more spiritual realm, the more meaning purpose-driven actions. And then you were drawn into like the business world. And then you, it sounds like you kind of became like disenchanted with it. And then you re- found a way to integrate your skill set with your like, kind of purpose and meaning in your life to create this awesome organization. So I want to hear more about exactly what, what change agents do, how you identify them and what like the, the, the real like mission pragmatic actions of your company, which is called latitude regenerative real estate, right? Yeah. Right. And I think it, it starts with understanding that if you put all those things together and you start looking at, at a whole picture that then we're, we're working with living systems And if you start to understand that, even if you're working in residential real estate, that we're all just nested systems within larger nested systems of like our body is a living system. We need nutrients and light and community and all these things to function. But we also are working within a home that also has nutrients that are coming in the front door of what we're considering groceries. It's powered by some kind of fuel that we actually don't really see. Uh, and then there's nutrient flows out, out the back door. And, and that's also hidden of like our plumbing and, and, um, and things like that. So that house then sits within a neighborhood and the neighborhood sits within a larger town or city. Uh, and then that sits within a bioregion. So like we are truly living systems and we can continue to go to the cosmos, but I think everybody understands that. So that's it's kind of number one for latitude change agents is to realize that we are working within living systems and that two, we, we operate as an ecosystem. And we started to understand a business ecosystem from, you know, who are the people that are championing this message and what expertise do they have? Because if I want to go out and give people advice about sustainability and like, let's just take energy is a great example because I haven't been super enchanted by energy efficiency. I think that's a great thing. I, I don't want to go out and learn how to energy audit a home, but I do want to go know the energy auditors in my town and I want to work with them and I want to share my clients with them. And I want to know who they know that are in the solar space and the geothermal and the wind and like, what is, what, who are those 
factors. And so if you start to really understand, if you're in the real estate space, like we're essentially connectors of resources and we're problem solvers. And so I, I don't necessarily have to be a jack of all trades. I just need to know all the trades that are out there that are purpose driven as well. And the funny thing that I found is that we started to, to put this out there for a couple of years of, you know, I want to know the carpenters and I want to know the designers and the architects and the landscapers, like who also cares about what we care about. And the shocking thing was, is that they're like, wait, you're a realtor. <laughs> and they couldn't handle the fact that somebody that is typically quite transactional and is myopically focused on how do I get new clients and then let's close a sale. And that's the measure of success is wanting to go deeper and connect, connect everybody together. And that's whenever we realized that, you know, where our business really started to come from was in those relationships and that we started to send business their way. They started to send business our way and we just started to connect and we started to realize that, you know, we could do things a lot differently if we had actually talked to this, uh, you know, green contractor before we started to uh, mandate that the seller paid for a roof replacement. And, and we started to realize like, why, why in, in our actions of, we do a, an inspection, we're working for the buyer, the hot water heater is kind of on the fritz and we're like seller to replace hot water heater. And what does the seller do? They go out and they buy like the crappiest, cheapest hot water heater that barely passes for, for what the buyer is looking for. Around, you know, is this what the buyers want? Is this what is going to be good? Like, is this a heat pump? Is it something that is going in the right direction? Does it even need to be replaced now? Or do we need to get a credit for this? So there is so much, even in the transactional side that we found, and so that's really the, the blocks of, of a latitude change agents, living systems, working within an ecosystem, and then realizing like, what is the potential for transformation from not only the transaction, but how do we, how do we become placemakers and really encourage this to happen amongst the ecosystem that, that they are cultivating in different towns across the country? And are you finding that there are a lot of professionals who are actually really interested in this kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I find that uh, it's not just pertaining to real estate agents. Uh, it really pertains to a lot of the trades. I think right now, particularly, a lot of people are realizing that we've gone through such a, a shift in how we live and how we work in the society. Like COVID sped this up by a couple decades but we're also realizing collectively like oh my goodness there <laughs> we've reached a tipping point we know that we there's something out there maybe it's um, a higher consciousness and uh, that there is a role for us out there but we don't know what that quite looks like right now and I just want to tell your listeners like there is a a theme in the environmental community that says, you know, the planet is going to be just fine without us. So if that's the case, if we screwed up the climate and we screwed up the planet, which we arguably have, but the lowest common denominator towards that destruction is humans, then we should like species demise is fine. Uh, <laughs> 
we should just rid ourselves uh, of, of ourselves on this planet. And I really think that we have forgotten that we ourselves are of nature. Like we, we do serve a role within the greater ecosystem in that if we can re-remember what that role is to help all life evolve and thrive and flourish, then we, we really start to connect back into this like deep primordial spiritual sense that, Hey, I, I understand my role and it's not just clocking in at 9am and clocking out at 5pm and uh, working for a paycheck. And hopefully the, I like my job, hopefully, but I've still got bills to pay. So there's a lot in there. I, I probably lost a lot of listeners going into more of the spiritual realm, but the more and more I really uh, sit with it, the more I realize like, have a purpose-driven uh, approach to your work. You lo- you might have lost some listeners, but you got me, man. <laughs> I- I'm I'm loving it. Um, I like I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And and what I've found through my experience of talking to lots of different people and doing very similar work to what you're doing is that. I learn more. I learn new things on every single with every single conversation I have with anyone, regardless. But when it comes to the deep, meaningful decisions that need to be made every single day, I think the answers have always been out there, and people choose to ignore them. And I sum it down to the most simple statement of, for me personally, what works for me is enlightened self-interest. The idea of considering others above yourself is the best way to serve yourself at the deepest and most fulfilling level. And if the way you go about doing that is like me by connect, like being a network and, and donating money, or if it's by trying to regenerate a community, or if it's going to the rainforest and helping the indigenous communities there, like foster the land, it's all about like giving of yourself. I think it, it's, it's in all the world religions. It's in all the stories that we let star Wars, Lord of the Rings. They're all the leaders that we love are the ones who go out and valiantly lead. And what leading is, is being the one who takes on the most danger, who sets the example for people. All right. A little bit on, on spiritualism. I couldn't resist. Um, do you have this idea of a regenerative economy like I do? And what kind of role do you see real estate playing in that? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the economy is a big thing because it's made up of a lot of individual actors that are responding to the, the needs and opportunities and challenges that are in front of them as they see it. Uh, do I think that it can be a regenerative economy? Yeah, I, I do, but not, not in the sense that we're acting now. Um, I, that's where I think that if, if, we continue down this arc of raising consciousness, then everybody will start to respond. And, and that's the incrementalism and the plurality of it is going to make a difference. Um, so I, I mean, real estate makes up a tremendous part of our economy. It, it makes up a tremendous impact in terms of the energy needs and the material needs that we have in this world. And that's where, we are currently seeing a really big shift and, and it's things like, how do we, how do we demand different kinds of products? How do we, how do we demand uh, FSC wood and non-toxic materials and, and intermediate technologies? And how do we sort through all of the BS that comes from obfuscation campaigns from the fossil fuel industries and other really toxic and degradative uh, industries out there like that is the role for real estate and real estate professionals is to realize that we can we should be 
the guides to not only unlocking some of the or demystifying some of the things that are going on within our industry, uh, but we we need to be connectors to that. And I think that's really how you start to change an economy to be more regenerative. And you know why I can sometimes lose myself in this conversation is that you start to realize that there's so many different technologies out there that I I truly do not even understand the implications, much less how they work. Like blockchain is going to revolutionize the real estate space. And, you know, to, to think how that's going to change the way that that finance is done and how we can really decentralize debt and, and it's not conglomerated in these really big banks. And, and how do we like invest in our local communities through different technologies? Um, I just think that we are entering into a really new era of human-centered technology that's going to drive a lot of the change. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about how, how to do it. I want to hear about this four pillars operating framework that you guys have, and I'm a little curious how you came up with it. Yeah. I mean, we've we've already really touched on it because it it was it's trying to find what is the intersection of regeneration. And, and that, and not just regeneration, but regenerative real estate. And I'm going to be really forthcoming that like, we are not uh, the, the original leaders in, in regeneration. Like this is, this has got really long threads and long lineages. And so we are just working through uh, the thought technology and the philosophy to infuse it within a very practical space that we work in, which is real estate. And so for us that the branches really come from, you know, it's about health and wellness. It's about sustainability, ecology, community, and spirituality. So we've added a fifth branch of spirituality. I wanted to like be up front with people about that. And then for the folks within latitude that are really interested in how do they combine the marketing side of what a, a real estate professional does with the technical and impact side of, of a consultant, then how do you measure change over time? And that's really, you know, what are the roots of this and how do we work about it? And what, what is all that connection? And so uh, that's really where we, we've come up with the design of how, what are the areas that you were to, if you were to guide somebody through either a new development or a house renovation. Um, this is this is a roadmap that you can take because really consulting is about quantification uh, just as much as it is qualification. And so if we want to do a snapshot in time of year one, this is when you, you bought it, year two, this is what you've done, year three, and you can start to follow somebody's interests. And like some people just may not have the money or the resources or the inclination to do something like a landscape redesign, but they may be really interested in like a biophilia aspect of their house and how do they like really um, work with nature to, to revitalize their day and like bring in more light and life and things like that. So uh, that's, that's how we really use the, the branches of regenerative real estate and, and how it is applied. Because what you'll find Ethan is that People like sound bites. And it's hard to, to say, like, 
regeneration or regenerative real estate is blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You leave off so much more, and and that's where I think some of some of the marketing aspects and and opportunities for us is to continue to refine the message. So it doesn't have to be so long-winded. I feel you, man. That's that's the biggest challenge of being a visionary is taking something that's abstract in your mind and constructing it in a way that can be digestible by the the, the average population. And I do want to say this. I, I understand your hesitancy to uh, to go too deep on like the spirituality stuff. But of course, I also understand why it's so pivotal to what you do. And I think what a lot of people might not realize is whether or not you consider yourself a spiritual individual, everyone is spiritual. This existence we have is crazy. Um, we're here. We, we're here. We weren't. Now we're here. Now we, we have all this autonomy. Everything's going on around us. Everything's alive. And um, what I think people should understand is even if you don't have a religious belief or if you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, you still are because what spirituality is, is just the idea that there's something beyond yourself. Now, me and you speaking to each other, that just seems to prove it to me. You're over there alive thinking, trying to do similar amazing things in the world. And it's just, um, that's a, a big thing about our Western culture, this, the secular um, growth or the idea that, you know, we should just leave these deep conversations out of the, the mainstream. Um, it, it's sad uh, in, in many ways, but it, if you are not, if you don't believe in anything, then you believe in nothing. And that's still spirituality. So it's totally linked to everything we do. So I appreciate your emphasis on that. And uh, speaking of which, let's get into more down to earth stuff. I want to talk about um, some of the Let key. Let me jump into that real quick. Please do. Please do. Before we yeah. transition, because what I do whenever I am like really pulled, there's a lot on my plate and I'm trying to just center and, and remember that, yes, there is, there is something else out there. There is a higher power there. We are, um, we are of nature and, and the spiritual aspect of that is like, just to close your eyes and to start thinking like, I'm made up of a lot of cells and atoms and electrons down to the, like the tiniest little particle and like nothing has, is created nothing is destroyed. It's all repurposed. And if you take it from the cellular level up to where we really are, I mean, think about it. We, we are on spaceship planet and we're floating around in a bunch of energy particles and gas <laughs> in, in some kind of space that goes on infinitely. Hmm. And then once I realized like, this is infinite, it, it, like your brain scrambles and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's the spiritual aspect of like, this is crazy that we are sentient and conscious beings within this universe and so that that's just my trick <laughs> yeah we don't even know what consciousness is man um i yeah I mean, i'm tempted to kind of like go into like my or my like thoughts on all that stuff but i mean I, I, I would like to use the time while I have you here because you do know a lot about the built environment as well to kind of talk about some of the, the key health, health risks that you try to mitigate in your work because obviously that was a huge inspiration to why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is amazing to, to truly understand uh, that our environments are either going to help us thrive or it's really going to debilitate us. And there's a lot of things within the building science uh, industry that we're starting to learn a lot about. I mean, there, 
I think what gets popularized and dramatized is sick building syndrome, which uh, definitely does happen. Like we, we might can be able to create a, an airtight envelope, but if there's not good ventilation in there, then do we really want to be building with a ton of formaldehyde and other chemicals that's in our particle board and our glues. And like, if you look at our, our fibers that, that we're using on carpets and things like that. Like there's a ton of off gassing, uh, because we're building with a lot of petroleum products. So it's literally every single item that goes into a property is, uh, potentially carcinogen or a, a carcinogen and, and or toxic in other ways. And you can start to see this example in, in people's lives. Like we've, my wife's family, they built a new house in Anchorage. Uh, and within a year, their perfectly healthy dog, Ned, little Ned died. And they think it was because of uh, exposure from, or the off-gassing from the carpet that was throughout the house. And then you can see how we're designing it as well. It's like, we're, we're putting our, we're attaching our garage right off of our kitchen and our cars that have fuel in them are, are off-gassing in there. And like, you can't just go sit in a garage and think that you're not gonna be lightheaded. And, and now it's right off of main living area. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, so there's a lot of little different things of, are we building new and what's the opportunities there? And one of the things that I love is like, if you think about building a non-toxic healthy home, one, your contractor's not going to know how to do that. And the trades aren't really going to know how to do that. Um, so there's a lot of collaboration and education that needs to go into that space. And that's why the uh, working as an ecosystem goes a long way. But two, like sustainability has been really illegal for a long time. Like take, for instance, uh, microgrids. Like you can't have a microgrid in a lot of, a lot of the U.S. And that's... A, really how we unlock a lot of energy independence is, is by creating renewable energy sources and putting them on grids. That's uh, very resilient. Or if somebody wanted to, to incorporate gray water and black water into their houses. That's so important. So gray water is just like, what is the water that is coming off of our sinks uh, or out of our shower that like, why is that not going into the garden or why are we not repurposing that? Uh, we can't do that in a lot of municipalities. That's starting. Why, Why can't we do it? Uh, it's just written in the code. And, and they really like code really says, if you want to do black water, if you want to do composting toilets or anything like that, like, nope, sorry, you have to connect into the sewer line. Yeah, but the code's written for a reason. What's the reason for those codes? Well, the reason for those codes is that it's gotten largely very complex. Uh, the the code is, has been updated continuously since, you know, we, we started to have municipalities and code really started to, to get ramped up in the mid 1950s. And it just, it went from there. And um, so there, there's a saying within the, the Living Future Institute, which puts out arguably the most aspirational and rigorous green building standards today, which is the living building challenge uh, that like sustainability is illegal. So how do we, how do we go figure this out? And, and that's why they call it a challenge is that like, you have to go through so many hurdles to educate and work with the city and your contractors and your suppliers to figure out how to build 
these healthy homes uh, that it, it's, it's almost mind boggling. And so that's why that's an organization for anybody that's looking for uh, kind of like what, what could be in the built environment. They're a great resource for that. Yeah. It's an amazing numerous list of challenges we've got ahead of us. I'm happy to have something to do for the rest of my, my career. Uh, it's pretty astounding how many challenges there are out there that we have to tackle that are all usually created by human institutions, which means that we can fix them because we are the institution. We're the people. We make the laws. We can change them. I did want to ask you what you would say to someone who's like, I've lived in my house for 60 years and I'm very healthy. Like my house isn't unhealthy at all. And then you're talking about like a carpet potentially killing a dog. Like what about someone who has, who has no like evidence of any unhealthy, like, you know, unhealthy stuff going on in their house? Yeah. I, and I think that's really valid. And they, uh, if you have an old house, like the benefit is that you've probably off gassed all the, the thing, all the materials that, that have gone in there. And I think, now, when we're starting to look at what is the next life for this, mm-hmm. uh, we start to look at different challenges. And, and I, whenever I say the word challenge, I always, I always like to preface that with an opportunity because now it comes into a different decision-making metrics of uh, what is the energy efficiency of this place? What is the ecology of the place? How do like it, the way that we built in 1920 is very different than the way that we build now. Uh, the, the way that we, we do spatial layouts is very different and what is conducive for, um, for productivity and happiness <laughs> is very different than uh, in our design standards that, that we're going off of now. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. And, you know, if, if somebody thinks that they're healthy and they don't want to change and their house is great, like, amazing. That is awesome. That's like if you, when you're ready to move, hopefully you'll give me a call and we'll we'll have a shot at <laughs> at moving into the next place that, that you want to go live in. Um, so you know, it I, I think the important part that I've discovered through our work is that a lot of people have an apprehension within the real estate space or within any professional endeavor to have a purpose-driven approach because they think that there's not enough people out there, they're like, they're not going to be able to make it work financially. And one, I, I want, like, I think it's, it's very courageous to, to make a pivot or to make a statement that my business is going to uh, have an impact and I'm going to give away half of my commission. And uh, I was familiar. <laughs> I was, I was looking at you and I think what you're doing is tremendous and it's, it is tremendously courageous. And that's really where I want to be a testament to people that like the market right now, if we're going to put it into a business term, the market might be an inch wide, but it's a mile deep. And we're finding people that, that really care about the same things that we care about. They are experts in their own right. Uh, they, they know what, what they're looking for, but they do need some guidance and they do need transactional help and they do need negotiation and they they are looking for different financing ways that they can create uh, their vision so we have a role to play within the real estate industry we can provide them with those resources we can stay on top of our game with code and and all that Um, and that's really where like if you boil down just the nuts and the bolts of we we help people with financing 
with finding properties, acquisition and disposition and, and marketing, like there is, it is ripe for change and we're having a great time because at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're telling stories. And that's, that's what it boils down to is how do we relate to other people and how do we all relate to, to just the, the web of life here? It's, uh, it's, it's awesome, man. Before we kind of sign off here, um, disregarding legislation, uh, what do you know about building carbon positive households? And, and then I also wanted to talk about embodied carbon uh, for those households. So embodied carbon, meaning the uh, emissions it took to build the house and then carbon positive. As far as I understand, carbon positive and carbon negative are, are the same thing, meaning that the house reduces emissions by, by sitting there as a house. I wanted to ask you about that. I figured you would know. Uh, this is a fun space. This is <laughs> like, where do we even jump off in, into that? Uh, well, it's possible. Obviously, based on your response, it can be done. It, it can be done where what I like to preface this with is that the majority of our housing stock has already been built that we're ever going to see in our lifetime. And, and someone threw out the statistic that it was around 80 to 90%. And so really we're only talking about 10 to 20% of new developments that's going to be happening. I, I don't know the validity of that. It sounds, sounds somewhat accurate. So I might roll with that. Uh, so the, that path might not be how do we go carbon positive, uh, but it may be what's the path to net zero? How do we incrementally change the energy profile of these properties? How do we change the ecological uh, tenants of these properties so that there, there is a carbon drawdown? So you're looking at technology of all different forms that's not just human technology, but natural technologies. And, and then how do we look at how we're cohabitating in our work patterns and like what's our mode of transportation and what is the food that we're eating. So like, there's a lot of different ways that just us living within this house supports drawing down carbon. Uh, where, where I think that we're headed is building materials are gonna get really interesting. Uh, how we build is gonna get really interesting. The embodied energy is, is gonna be a big conversation of not just, Hey, we can build a passive house that is super airtight uh, and it produces all its own energy. But you know what? What is the point of origin of those materials? How long? How far do they have to go to get there? And you start to see that in in things like fire retardants. Like we're we're putting fire retardant in insulation that has a deleterious effect on the environment, but it also travels a really long distance. And so, I don't know, like there is a lot to this of uh, where the materials are coming from and how, how do we support the supply chains? Because it's not just, you know, where you go to Home Depot and you get this material, but like you're, you're looking at deep, 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 deep supply chains and all of that has carbon impacts and energy impacts. And so, uh, I'm probably not the best person to talk about was I just quickly get over my ski tips and yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, this is why we need everybody. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, you are the host of the regenerative real estate podcast. So I did want to ask you, what are some of the most important you've less lessons you've learned from, I want to say how, how many episodes has it been? We're about 50 episodes in now. Okay, cool. Yeah. What are some of the awesome takeaways from that show? Uh, if you do not have a podcast, have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's blast, man. Lesson number one is that I was having these conversations 
just like we're having today with people that I really wanted to talk to and I, we weren't recording them. And then we just kind of like joke, like, man, we should have rolled on that. That was amazing. And <laughs> we started to do that. And what I started to realize is that if you have an audience of one, you're not doing anything. You're just talking to, in, inside your head. And then I, I went from an audience of, uh, of just myself to my wife, to then a couple other people. And maybe I'm still working on one-to-one. And that was okay. But where we really saw a shift in impact is that we started to talk one to many through a podcast and, and to amplify voices. And that's really where I realized that my role is a connector. I like that is my role in the ecosystem is to work or help expose thoughts and, and practices and people to, to the community that is choosing to enroll. And that's been the most incredible thing is that like, one, there's people that are icons and legends that we all know, and it's amazing to hear what they're saying in long form, but there's also some tremendous people that we don't know about whose stories really resonate with me and apparently with an audience that we are starting to build. And like, that's been the building blocks towards community. And that's why I think it's so important for Latitude is it's not just uh, born out of Portland, Oregon, and that's where it stayed. Uh, but we really need to connect everybody. And these ideas and this movement doesn't just belong within the U.S. or within North America, but it's got to be a global conversation. And so we're starting to see how that looks. And we're starting to see different parts of, of the world uh, really rise up and there's a lot of conversations that that happen all at once i mean there's a big social justice theme that that is within real estate and an environmental justice theme uh, that's that's within there and so that's really where i think if if you're going to have a podcast like it doesn't have to be surface level like build build your audience by being really interesting and finding interesting people or putting out content that hasn't been put out before and, and watch what happens because it's truly magic. It is just like this conversation today. What I want to ask you as the final, the final question I always ask something similar for you. Um, I'd really like to know what advice would you give to yourself back before you started your work in the Peace Corps? Like knowing everything you know now, what would you, what would you like advise yourself to do back at that stage? Yeah, everything's going to be okay. You know, my 20s was pretty incredible. I had a lot of opportunities to go travel. And I, I went to probably over, I don't know, 25 different countries and got to experience a lot of, a lot of different things. And I will forever be indebted to that experience because it gave me such a broader perspective of the globe. And a lot of people will go back and tell their their former selves, like, God, oh, you got to buy real estate early. Are, are you kidding me? Like we, we've got a, our entire lives to figure that, that part out. We don't need to be trapped in our twenties, but I spent my twenties really worrying about like, what's the right steps? What do I need to do? How am I going to make this work? And, and that's the time that we can screw up. We have no obligations. It feels like we've got a lot of obligation. Maybe we've got to make a $300 a month student loan payment or something like that. But like there's no kids, there's, there's no mortgages. There's no, there's not like 29 people that are looking for you for decisions. Uh, it is literally just 
you and a backpack and a passport and have fun. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a great ride. Amen. All right. And Neil, thank you for doing this in the middle of your crazy move, recording it in your son's new new bedroom. Uh, it's meant a lot to me. I really appreciate having you on the show. And, and I love what you're doing. And I'm really glad to be connected with you. And I love the name Change Agents. And I think that can be donned by more than just real estate professionals as well. Certainly, certainly. No, it's been a it's been a privilege. I love what you're doing as well, Ethan. I think that, uh, it, like I said, it's super courageous. And you've got <laughs> a, a way with, with marketing that I think is, is tremendous and bringing humor to, to situations, I think really turns a lot of heads and it makes a lot of people smile because at the end of the day, like we're here, we're here to thrive and smiling and, and doing it together is, is how, what it's all about for me. Yeah, well, I did. I did. I mentioned this on another episode. Um, the way plays were written, there were like two types of plays. There were comedies and there were tragedies and comedies had the good endings and tragedies had the bad ones. So my life is a comedy as far as I'm concerned. So Neil, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ethan. All right, everybody. Peace out. See you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.